From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. This is inventor Cracklin' Jane, and today we will be trying out my latest invention, the Alpha Wave Phototonic PN Junction Accelerator. I actually came up with this thing quite a while ago, but this one runs on a single 9-volt battery. Now, just what can this baby do? Well, it picks up very sensitive energy waves, and by the use of a special secret algorithm, it can be used to understand the non-verbal speech of animals and insects. So to test it out, we waited until dusk, then headed right out that door to pawn the pavements of a small fishing village in Maine, and conducted some man-on-the-street interviews with the wildlife that parties there. The result is that we've compiled a tidy list of sponsorships and public service messages created by the leading animal spokesmen of the town. Thus, our first segment is brought to you by Skunks on Patrol. And in honor of our episode's first sponsor, here are two versions of the 1941 Skunk Song. First, Johnny Mesner and his orchestra, followed by Kerwin Somerville and Voices 4 with Tommy Tucker Time. Here is Johnny Mesner. Nobody loves me on the count of I'm a skunk. The little red fox and the three little pigs are really famous fellas. Yep, all his friends are big shots now. No wonder that he's jealous. Oh, nobody loves me. I hang my head in shame. Nobody loves me. I'm oh so nice and tame. Nobody loves me. It really is a bunk. Nobody loves me on the count of I'm a skunk. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. The big bad wolf with his big appetite. A greedy guy now is me. Yep, all he does is brag about the dough he made with Disney. Oh, nobody loves me, my spirit sure is low. Nobody loves me for reasons you all know. Nobody loves me, my best friend said I stunk. Nobody loves me on the count of I'm a skunk. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. He has a new car that Mickey the Mouse in. Has a powerful motor. He passed me by and yelled. Hey, guy, you have a powerful odor. Oh, nobody loves me. Poor old me is woe. Nobody loves me. I guess I have the old. Nobody loves me. My atmosphere is punk. Nobody loves me on the count of I'm a skunk. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. I'm just a little innocent skunk. Everyone says that I smell punk. Now I'm just a total loss, I think. Confidentially. You smell. Oh, nobody loves me. My best friend said I stunk. No. 
that he loves me on the count of I'm a Really famous fellas Yep, all my friends are big shots Now it's no wonder that I'm jealous Oh, nobody loves him He hangs his head in shame Nobody loves him He's oh so nice and tame Nobody loves him It really is the bump Nobody loves me On account of I'm a skunk a lady passed by and she said to a guy that I was awful pretty. He said to her, let's get away, cause he ain't that kind of a kitty. Nobody loves him, his spirit sure is low. Nobody loves him, for reasons you all know. Nobody loves him, his pride has shrunk and shrunk. Nobody loves me on account of I'm a skunk. Oh, Felix the Cat is the most wealthy gent, and Mickey Mouse, they show it. But all I've got is just one cent, and the whole world seems to know it. Nobody loves him. He has no self-respect. Nobody loves him. His life's a total wreck. Nobody loves him. His popularity stunk. Nobody loves me on account of I'm a skunk. No matter just how people talk about me, at least my stripe ain't yellow. I don't fit in society, but I'm really a smell fellow. S-K-U-N-K no matter what you think, S-K-U-N-K, at least I am distinct. Nobody loves you, so living I'm defunct. Nobody loves you, nobody loves me. Nobody loves you, on account of I'm a skunk. On account of you're a skunk. Two versions of the 1941 Skunk Song. That was Kerwin Somerville with Voices 4 and Tommy Tucker Time, preceded by Johnny Mesner and his orchestra. Our first sponsor this hour is the Skunk Patrol, keeping your property free of pests such as rats and wasps since 73,000 B.C. Does your yard have a problem with pests such as rats, yellow jackets, or moles? Perhaps it's time to call Skunks on Patrol. 
Our uniformed professionals will take up residence in the crawl space or under the foundation of your garage, shed, or even your house, and then cheerfully get to work. A wasp nest is like a delicious bowl of popcorn to members of our trained staff, and keeping working waterfronts clear of rats is our specialty. Skunks have been serving North America for over 75,000 years. We hear next Skunk Hollow Blues, Johnny Hodges and his orchestra from 
Uncle Sam come down the road, tall and straight and slim. He had a shotgun in his hand and his face was hard and grim. His heels was kicking up the dust with every step he took. And when I asked him what was wrong, his whiskers fairly shook. I ain't got time to talk, says he. I'm in a powerful stew. So get your gun and come along. We've got a job to do. The varmint's hanging round my house, a sneaky, dirty feller. And the stripes that's running down his back ain't white. In fact, they're yeller. So get your gun and come along. We're fixing to kill the skunk. We've done it before and we'll do it again. And neighbor, that's no bunk. Everyone in the USA is sick of the little punk. So get your gun and come along. We're fixing to kill the skunk. This varmint's had his way too long, spreading his awful smell and messing up a lot of homes where decent people dwell. But now he's gone a little too far, strutting and prancing about, cause when he gets in my neighborhood, mister, he better look out. I like my home the way it is, and I like it more every day. And as long as I'm able to pack this gun, I'm going to keep it that way. But I know how to deal with him. I've handled his kind before. It won't be fun, but the job will be done, and I'll nail his hide to the door. So get your gun and come along. We've got a skunk to kill. We'll poke him out of the woodpile and chase him over the hill. When we get done with the son of a gun, he'll know he's bit off a hunk. So get your gun and come along. We're fixing to kill the skunk. I recollect one other time, 20-some years ago, another skunk come prowling around, and at first I just let him go. I tried my best to leave him alone, but he wore my patience thin. So I had to get my shotgun out, and you know what happened to him. Well, after that, I kind of relaxed and laid my gun away. But now that smell has started again, and it's getting worse every day. So here I am on the varmint's trail, and neighbor, I'm telling you, that skunk had better hunt a hole for him and all of his crew. So get your gun and come along. We've got a skunk to skin. We'll grab his tail and give it a yank and pull it off over his chin. We'll chase him back to his dirty den and make it a pile of junk. So get your gun and come along. We're fixing to kill a skunk. Get your gun and come along. We're fixing to kill a skunk. Carson Robison from 1941 using the image of a skunk to symbolize Hitler during World War II. Before that, we heard the 1950 Skunk Hollow Boogie featuring Slim Rhodes. In all five songs about today's sponsor, the skunks who reside in our sheds and crawl spaces and make it their business to keep the yard free of rats and wasps. And in an attempt to achieve equal time, the International Brotherhood of Rats has agreed to sponsor our next three songs. Here is the 1954 I smell a rat, young Jesse and his orchestra. I smell a rat, baby. I smell a rat, baby. Better watch out. I smell a rat, baby. You won't tell me where you've been. Cause you're running all down the chin. I smell a rat, baby. I smell a rat, baby. Better watch out. Oh, I smell a rat, baby. I smell a rat, baby. Oh, 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 I sm
and she sure won't wash my clothes. Where it's gonna wind up, the good Lord only knows. So heed my warning, fellas, if you're matrimony bound. If you get one just like I got, she'll tear your playhouse down. I got rats in my closet and they're chewing up my clothes. Hard times bound to come again. There's holes in my shoes and there's holes in my socks. And if I don't watch my P's and Q's, they're gonna put me on the rocks. They don't give me any fun I got rats in my closet And they're chawing on my clothes Hard times are bound to come again There's holes in my shoes And there's holes in my socks And if I don't watch my P's and Q's They're gonna put me on the rocks my 
Little Son Joe, with his 1941 Black Rat Swing, preceded by the 1947 Rats in My Closet, featuring Bob Newman with the Georgia Crackers. Those last three songs brought to us by the International Brotherhood of Rats, whose representatives met with us on the streets of an undisclosed fishing village in Maine. And now a little something for the beavers, hardworking and industrious. The big ones can weigh up to 60 pounds, so here are two versions of Big Beaver, starting with Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys.
That was two versions of Big Beaver. We just heard Jan Savitt and his orchestra, preceded by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport, and we are experimenting with our new invention, the Alpha Wave Phototonic PN Junction Accelerator, which allows us to interpret the nonverbal speech of animals and insects by monitoring their energy waves. Next, we tip our hats to the moose in our midst. Here is the 1947 Big Moose Blues, interpreted by Sonny Boy and Lonnie. Sonny Boy and Lonnie from 1947. Next, the deer that roam our streets and wooded lots tell us that they hope you appreciate their generosity in, in allowing humans to overrun their territory. On the other hand, they acknowledge that humans do keep other predators away when they're not hunting the deer themselves. Here is Snow Deer, Charlie Linville and the Fiddlin' Linvilles from 1946.
We just experienced the 1946 Snow Deer, Charlie Linville and the Fiddlin' Linvilles. Next, we spoke with some of the numerous crows supervising the streets of our fine village. They asked that we remind you that crows are problem solvers. So if you need help solving three-dimensional puzzles, the best way to stack cordwood, or small engine repair, feel free to contact the Council of Ethical Crows. Their medium of exchange is variable, but could include peanuts and hard-boiled eggs. They look forward to doing business with you. So we devote the next five songs to our good friends, the Crows. Starting with the 1947 Chicky Moe Cranny Crow, here's Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five. She left me holding the sack I'll stay on the track Till my chick gets back Hanging round Till my sweet little gal comes home She left me holding the sack I'll stay on the track till my chick gets back Hanging round till my sweet little gal comes home
told you, baby, and I ain't gonna tell you no more. If I tell you again, my grab my 44. Then I will snap my pistol, baby, in your low-down face. Some of lonesome graveyard be your resting place. Crow Jane, Crow Jane, honey, make you hold your head so high, baby. You the real out, honey. You gotta lay down, lay down. Well, I walk and I walk till my feet got soaking wet. I ain't find Crow Jane and I ain't quit walking it. I've been told you, baby, you gotta lay down and die. Sonny Terry with his 1948 Crow Jane Blues. Before that, Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five treated us to the 1947 Chicky Moe Cranny Crow. We are laying out some oral, peanuts, grapes, and dog food for this segment's sponsor, the Council of Ethical Crows. We continue our crowing with the 14-year-old Scottish girl Patricia Priest, recorded by Cecil Sharp, the founding father of the folk song revival in England. This recording is undated, but would have been before 1924. Here is Carrion Crow.
That was the last of five songs played in honor of this segment's sponsor, the Council of Ethical Crows. That was Dick Lewis and his Harlem Rhythm Boys with their 1947 Old Crow Boogie, preceded by Henry Witter playing Rain Crow Bill on the harmonica from 1927. We're out with our latest invention, the Alpha Wave Phototonic PN Junction Accelerator, which allows us to interpret the nonverbal speech of animals and insects by monitoring their energy waves and applying a secret algorithm. I approached some insects with my invention to see if they had anything to say that was noteworthy, and their darn buzzing made it impossible to interpret the signal. So, momentarily, back to the drawing board, I tried putting in a variable notch filter to calibrate out the buzzing and got some pretty good results. Here are three bumblebee songs, starting with Bubber Johnson Trio in 1951. spider his name was zeb in a cherry tree he spun his web he sat there waiting for a finished bee and then he caught himself a bumblebee now the bumblebee he was quite annoyed he said a trick like this boy is null and void the spider made a pass at the bumblebee then out came the bumblebee stingaree don't you stick that thing in me Said the spider to the bumblebee I offer my hospitality But don't you stick that thing in me Don't you stick that thing in me Said the 
spider to the bumblebee. Take all the blossom from the cherry tree, but don't you stick that thing in me. Well, the bumblebee said, listen here, Mr. Zeb. I know you. Come on, loosen up that web. But if you insist that I am the one, well, stick around, brother. We're going to have some fun. Don't you stick that thing in me, said the spider to the bumblebee. I loosen my web and set you free, but don't you stick that thing in me. said, Mr. B, your thing is sharp as a knife. Stick me with it, brother, and I'll be ruined for life. But if it's me who you want, rustle up your feathers. Let's fight. Don't you stick that thing in me, said the spider to the bumblebee. I loosen my web and set you free, but don't you stick that thing in me. Don't you stick that thing in me. Don't you stick that thing in me.
You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Around the World with your host, Cracklin Jane. Bumblebee songs. That was the 1939 Bumblebee Stomp with Benny Goodman and his orchestra, preceded by the 1948 Bumblebee Shottish, Whoopi John Polka Band. And we started the set with Bumblebee, the Bubber Johnson Trio from 1951. Next, we moved on down to the waterfront and had a word with the seagulls. They just wanted to express their appreciation for all the fine public barbecues being held throughout the summer which is a big help to live up to their motto, for good health, eat a variety of foods. Here is an old 1906 ballad called Seagull, brought forth by Ernest Pike. Oh, 
Sunny golden days of love. 
her lonesome seagull who's been drifting with the tide. Carried by the wind from your heart and from your side. If you'll only love me, darling, just the way you used to do, then you'll see your seagull sailing home to you. Some seagull who's been drifting with the tide Carried by the wind from your heart and from your side If you'll only love me, darling, just the way you used to do Then you'll see your seagull sailing home to you That was two seagull offerings. We just heard the Lonesome Seagull, Jerry Rowley and Ginny Wright with the Louisiana Hayride Band, and before that, the old 1906 ballad, Seagull, featuring Ernest Pike. And now, let's eavesdrop on a 1939 interaction between a spider and a fly. Here is Fats Waller and his rhythm. Won't you come into my parlor? Fed the spider to the fly. I've the cutest little living room that you did ever spy. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh fly. Oh fly. Oh fly. Oh fly. Bye bye. Bye bye. Because you walked into his parlor unsuspecting little fly. You'd see my art collection, it's the best that gold can buy. Not to speak of my fine etchings, that will surely please your eye. Oh, fly, oh, fly, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, oh, fly, oh, fly, because you walked into his parlor, unsuspecting little fly. Say my new Victrola never fails to satisfy. We can play the latest music to the cue and hide the high. Bye bye, bye bye. Go fly, go fly, go fly, go fly. Bye bye, bye bye. Because she walked into his parlor unsuspecting little fly. Come on out of that wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and the gentleman and scholar by the spider to the fly. After you have seen my parlor, you no longer will be shy. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, bye. Bye bye. Because you walked into his parlor, unsuspecting little fly. Come out of that way. She walked into his parlor, unsuspecting little fly. Well, we just heard what happens to a fly who accepts an invitation from a spider. Fats Waller and his rhythm, the 1938 Spider and the Fly. Next, we listen to an adventure related by a fox. Here is Burl Ives from 1945. Fox went out on a chilly night, prayed for the moon for to give him light, for it many a mile to go that night afore he reached the town, oh, the town, oh, the town, oh, he had many a mile to go that night afore he reached the town, oh. He ran till he came to a great big pen where the ducks and the geese were put therein. A couple of you will grease my chin before I leave this town, oh, town, oh, town, oh. Couple of you will grease my chin before I leave this town, oh. He grabbed the gray goose by the neck, rode a duck across his back. He didn't mind their quack, 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 and the legs all dangling down, oh, down, oh, down, oh. He didn't mind their quack, 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 and the legs all dangling down, oh. Then old mother flipper flopper jumped out of bed. Out of the window she cocked her head, crying, John, John, the great goose is gone, and the fox is on the town, oh, town, oh, town, oh, crying, John, John, the great goose is gone, and the fox is on the town, oh. Then Johnny went to the top of the hill, blowed his horn both loud and shrill. The fox, he said, I better flee with my kill, or they soon be on my trail, oh, trail, oh, trail, oh. Foxy said, I better flee when I kill her, they soon be on my trail, oh. He ran till he came to his cozy den. There were the little ones, eight, nine, ten. They said, Daddy, better go back again, cause it must be a mighty fine town, oh, town, oh, town, oh. They said, Daddy, better go back again, cause it must be a mighty fine town, oh. Then the fox and his wife, without any strife, Cut up the goose with a fork and knife. They never had such a supper in the life, and the little ones chewed on the bones, oh, the bones, oh, the bones, oh. They never had such a supper in the life, and the little ones chewed on the bones, oh. An anecdote with a happy ending, seen from the fox's point of view. That was Burl Ives with the 1945 recording of The Fox. The next denizen of our village's yards and streets that came out to greet us was a snake. Here is the original Memphis Five with their 1923 snake hips.
Snig Hips, the original Memphis Five from 1923. We are outperforming men on the street interviews with the urban wildlife that inhabits our streets and yards, facilitated by our new invention, the Alpha Wave Phototonic PN Junction Accelerator, which allows us to interpret the nonverbal speech of animals and insects by monitoring their energy waves. The last group we are hearing from this evening are the majestic eagles that circle overhead. Here is Yvonne King with Albino Ray and his orchestra reminding us to feed that eagle. Thank you. 
songs in tribute to eagles who circle around our coastlines and islands. We just heard the 1940 Eagle Beak, Raymond Scott and his new orchestra, preceded by Gray Eagle, featuring Georgia Slim and his Texas Roundup from 1947. And we started the set with Feed That Eagle, Yvonne King with Alvino Ray and his orchestra from 1941. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane. 
And this concludes the musical portion of Round the World today. We ventured out into village streets and yards with our new improved invention, the AlphaWave Phototonic PN Junction Accelerator, which allows us to interpret the non-verbal speech of animals and insects, and spoke with the skunks, beavers, crows, gulls, spiders, bumblebees, and many other interesting and industrious entities. And now, for an animal we haven't talked to yet, the werewolf. Here is a very early radio drama version of the show Dragnet, which eventually had 762 episodes, and here is episode 3. So let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. There's a potential killer on the loose in your city. Eighteen women have been beaten and robbed by this man. The newspapers call him the werewolf. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday morning, February 2nd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of robbery detail. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant and so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the teletype room and it was 3 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Hi, Ben. What's up? Keep the coat on, Joe. Just had a hot shot call. Coming, Skipper? Right behind you. Let's go, Freddy. Well, what was it, Ed? Another woman robbed, almost beaten to death. Uh, well, how many does that make? About 18 in six weeks. Is that right, Skipper? Yeah, 18 too many. Come on down these stairs to the garage. Yeah. What about that suspect we had, Ed? You mean Martin? Yeah. Had to release him this morning. But I got a good tale on him, Henderson. Yeah. We got any reports yet? Nothing definite to hold him for. Here's the garage. Let's hustle it. Right. Then if this isn't Martin's job, Skipper, and he's not the right man... Then we start all over again, and we work night and day till we find the right man. Here's the car. Let's go. Ben, you drive. Yeah, all right. How do the victims describe this guy, Ed? Pretty sketchy. Supposed to be tall, dark, long black hair. Last woman said he had a face like an animal. Something like a dog. Or a wolf. A wolf? Yeah. She said... Something like a werewolf. Something like a werewolf. We almost had to be that, judging from the way he operated. He was either an animal or a raving maniac. One thing we were sure of, he was smart and he was dangerous. 
For almost two months, he'd prowled the streets in a stolen car in the early morning, usually between 3 and 5 a.m., and the victims were always lone women, most of them waitresses, coming to work or going home. He'd drag them into the car, rob them, beat them until they were unconscious, and then throw the body out into the street. That's just what we found when we pulled up to the curb near the corner of 8th and Grand. One cruiser car was already there, and so was the ambulance. About a dozen people were standing around looking at the crumpled figure of a woman sprawled out on the sidewalk. Two officers were talking to the only witness, a thin, sallow-faced newsboy. His story didn't give us much to go on. Like I was telling these cops, sir, or these officers, sir, I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down a the block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. Well, actually, I, I don't know what to think. Did you get a look at the license, please? Well, well, no, I didn't. Tell you the truth, I could hardly keep from... Well, I was just plain scared. Mm-hmm. What did you do after you saw him throw the body out, son? Well, I just stood there for a minute, and the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? Yeah, I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, no, he couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. Uh. I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? So it was just like the paper says about him. Right, right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says attacker looked like werewolf. That's all the newsboy could tell us. The suspect drove a blue sedan. He had a face like a werewolf. We covered the neighborhood for clues, and we questioned a dozen people, but we got nowhere. We took the witness's name and address, and, and we drove down a couple of blocks to an all-night gas station. 14 hour off the next I'm going in here and call the office and see if Henderson's called in on Martin. We might still have a suspect. Right, Skipper. 13 hour off Looks as mad as a wet hornet, doesn't he, Joe? Yeah. Did you get a good look at that woman's face when they moved her in the ambulance? Hell. Sure does like to mess him up. Oh, I don't know how we're going to get him, Ben, but we better do it fast. Next time it'll probably be murder. Oh, here comes the Skipper, Joe. Uh oh. Doesn't look good. What is it, Ed? Just talked to Henderson. He tailed Martin to a bar in Long Beach. He hasn't been out of his sight for two minutes since yesterday. Martin's clear. And we're right back where we started. Yeah, with one more half-dead woman in the hospital. Well, how about that stolen car, Skip? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get that radio up. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. Attention, all units, on Grand Avenue between Venice and Washington... A woman, victim of robbery and attack. Code 3, ambulance to task. Code 3, red light and siren. Come on, Friday, let's roll. We couldn't be sure, but it sounded like another one. Six minutes later, we were there. Same story. Werewolf. The next day, the chief ordered the number of cruiser cars doubled in the central district. This was for the early morning watch with plainclothesmen to back them up. Then the newspapers played it big, and in two days the story was on the front page of every paper in town. Maybe that should have made the werewolf lay low, but it didn't. Because at four o'clock that morning, while Ben and I were patrolling with the other cars, he got his 20th victim. Attention, all units. Whittier between Soto and Matthews, a woman victim of 211, an attack. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. 
Here's a report on that blue sedan he used the other night, Joe. Found it out on Anaheim Telegraph Road. Any luck with it? Not one fingerprint we can use. Anything else? Nothing. Well, how about the auto theft detail? Same old story, Joe. He steals a car, uses it once, and then drops it. Never leaves a thing behind. Well, that's great. We're sure moving fast. How about that big guy you picked out of the lineup this morning? Oh, I checked his alibi. It's perfect. Hmm. Now we haven't got even half a clue. Yeah. Well, come on. Let's check with Eddie. He's instructing the police women on the plan for tonight. All right. Now you've heard the reports. You understand how the suspect operates and what you're to do. Yeah. Remember, all of you forget you were ever policewomen. Change the way you walk, the way you carry yourselves. That's the part you're playing, all right? Okay. And be careful and don't take any chances. All right, Freddy. Okay, Ed. Now, just to make sure you look the part, we're spotting each one of you at different restaurants and coffee shops throughout the Central District. And from 7 o'clock tonight until daylight tomorrow, each one of you is going to be a waitress. You got that? Okay, Ben, you want to give them their assignments? Okay, Joe. Well, here's the way it lines up. Marge Kissel at the Top Hat Cafe. That's on 9th Street between Alvarado and Westlake. Okay. And Katie Wells, Joe's Coffee House, Brooklyn Soto. Right. Pat Fielding at the All Night Steakhouse on Figueroa Street between Florence No, and the trick of using decoys to lure criminals into a trap wasn't exactly new, but, well, it was just one of the old tricks that we figured might land the werewolf behind bars. At 7 that night, Ben and I made the rounds and found each of the policewomen on her job as a waitress. Well, the overall plan was simple. The girls were to leave the different restaurants between 3 and 5 a.m. that morning and pretend they were walking home. We mapped different courses for each one of them to throw out as much bait as possible and yet not to make it look suspicious. Each policewoman, from the time she left the restaurant and stepped out into the deserted streets, would be pretty much on her own. We had officers planted all along the way at designated intervals, but a big element of chance and danger was still there. All we could do was cross our fingers and hope. How much more time, Joe? Let me see. She's doing two minutes. Yeah. Waiting gets on your nerves. And it won't be long. This corner doorway's a pretty good lookout, boy. Yeah. Wait a minute. Listen. Who is it, Joe? Can you see? Get back. What is it? Wait a minute. It's Marge Kissel. There's a man following her, a big guy. If it's the werewolf, where's his car? I don't know. Maybe he changed his plans. Get back. Here they come. You get a look at him, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Not too suspicious. Might be coincidence. Well, I got a pretty good lead. Come on, let's go. Stay back in the shadows. Hey, Joe. Hmm? So where'd the guy go to? I lost him. The little coffee shop up on the next corner. See? Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's opening the door. He's turning on the lights. Yeah, looks like a false alarm, Joe. Well, let's check him anyway. Well, I didn't think we'd be that lucky on the first try, and we weren't. We asked the man a few questions, and it didn't take him long to show us he wasn't our man. He owned the coffee shop. So, Ben and I went back and took up our posts again and waited for the next decoy. We covered that ten-block course six times that morning... Back and forth, following the bait, but it was almost as if the guy could sense a trap. Not once did we get a nibble. By the time our last decoy finished the route, it was almost daylight. Joe, I never was so glad to see that sun come up in my whole life. My feet feel like they're puffing right up out of my shoes. Yeah, me too. Come on, let's get over to the car and check on the other squad out in Boyle Heights, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh. Hit the radio, will you, Ben? Yeah. Joe, there must be some easier job on the force than this. Yeah, you and me both. Now, let's see what happened to the others, huh? 80K to Unit 104K. Come in. 
104K to Unit 80K. Go ahead. 104K, this is Friday. You do any good out there? This is Miller. I'll call Curtis. Stand by. 80K to 104K, Roger. What do you think, Joe? Maybe a buy? I don't know. Oh, this guy seems to work like a mind reader. Well, he can't win all of them. 104K to Unit 80K. This is Curtis. Go ahead. This is Friday, Al. How'd you do out there? Any luck? Just checked in the last gal, Joe. Katie Welch, not a sign. Okay, Al. Have the men check in. 80K clear. KGPL. Okay, let's go, Ben. When we finally got back to the office that morning, both Ben and I were ready for some sleep, but it didn't look like we were going to get it. We just about finished going through the overnight reports for some kind of a lead when the phone rang. Robbery Friday. Hiya, Joe. This is Wilkerson, auto theft. Hi, Wilkie. You got something for us? Not much, Joe, but it might work into something. Just got a report in on a pair of stolen license plates. Oh? Yeah. I'm not much of a hawkshaw, but I figure there's just a chance it might be your werewolf boy. How come? I don't know. Maybe just a hunch. After 13 years in this business, you get to know thieves pretty well. Sometimes you got to even think like them. Okay, Wilkie, thanks. We'll check by in a couple of minutes. All right, Joe. What do you have to say? A pair of license plates stolen last night. Wilkie's got a hunch it could have been our man. Well, might be an angle, Joe. If that werewolf guy'd hang on to one car long enough, we'd have a chance at him. Oh, he's too smart for that. I don't know, Joe. Sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. Yeah. Come on, let's check with Wilkie. Well, we checked with Wilkerson. We got the best piece of news we'd had in days. On the average, 95% of stolen cars are recovered or located within 24 hours. In the remaining 5%, Wilkerson, by a simple process of elimination, narrowed down the number of cars the suspect might be driving. Wilkie figured six cars. There they are. Now, I'll bet you if you picked up your man tonight, he'd be in one of these cars. Let me see, huh? Two-door black sedan, yellow convertible, another sedan, green, blue coupe, black coupe, and a gray convertible. Well, that's good work, Wilkie. At least we got something to look for now. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Uh, Wilkie, you got the numbers of those stolen plates you're talking about? Yeah, right here, Ben. They're already on the hot sheet. Good. Keep us posted, huh? Yeah, as usual, Ben. See you later, Wilkie. It's a good break, Ben. Something to keep us busy tonight. Tonight? What do you mean? We're setting another trap. Same thing as last night. Same police women, same everything. Well, only this time, let's hope he steps into it. You know, Joe, this werewolf character is getting me mad. That night, we followed in our own footsteps. We planted the police women decoys in three separate districts, and a few minutes before 3 a.m., our squad of men took up their positions. The same police women went to their waitress jobs in the same restaurants, and Ben and I and the rest of the men stood in darkened doorways or empty filling stations or whatever cover we could find. And we waited and waited. What time is it, Joe? Let me look. Half past four. Oh, thank you. Any sign, Joe? No, nothing yet. Come on, stay in the shadows. That's the way it went all through the early morning. The same plan over and over again until daylight. Ben and I had check in at the station, go over the late stolen car reports with Wilkie, catch a few hours sleep at home, and then come back and do it all over again. The next night, and the next morning, and the night after that, and the morning after that. Five days later, Ben and I were ready to call it quits. I'll admit it, Joe, I can't figure it. guy's either psychic or else he can smell a cop a mile away. Yeah, well, at least we got that stolen car angle left. Did you check with Wilkie yet this morning? I'll give him a call now. All right. Hello? 
Taft Wilkerson. This is Ben, Wilkie. You got anything for us this morning? Yeah, just going to call you. You fellas ought to let me solve your cases for you. Why? What'd you get? The boys picked up three of those six stolen cars since late yesterday. Great. Now, what does that leave us with? I hear the three still missing. Yeah. Four X-ray 763. Yeah. Five six young 342. Uh-huh. Six one Robert 385. Yeah. Got those? Yeah, well, thank you, Wilkie. Uh, check you later. Good news? Remember those six missing cars? Yeah. Wilkie says the boys found three of them since late yesterday. Here's what's still out. The blue coupe, the yellow convertible, and the gray convertible. Yeah. Well, this feels like the right track for a change, Ben. Righty. Romero, got a minute? Sure thing, Skipper. Come on, Joe. What do you got, Ed? A woman up in Hollywood just called in with this. She said she walked down to the corner from her house last night to mail the letter. On the way back, a guy pulled up in the car and tried to drag her inside. Any description? Big, heavy set, dark, same thing. Well, how'd you get away from him, Skipper? She said she started running as soon as he made a motion toward her. When he saw her run up the steps of her house, he jumped back in the car and took off. Well, how come she didn't call in before then? Well, she hasn't got a phone. She's afraid to leave the house again until this morning. Sounds good, Chief. You got her address there? Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Tom Burdick, 1237 Wilcox, apartment 10. Come on, Ben. This might be what we're looking for. Who is it? Who's there? Sergeant Friday, ma'am. Police. Oh, just a moment. I'm Sergeant Romero, Miss Birdie. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. We come out to check on your call about that little trouble last night. Oh, well... I don't know if I'm going to be much help to you. I was so frightened about all I could do was just run. Well, could you add anything to the man's description, Miss Burdick? I mean, other than what you told the chief on the phone? Well, now, honestly, I don't think I can. All I saw was this tall, dark man jumping out of his car and starting for me. He had a heavy build and seemed to me, well, a large head with lots of long black hair. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Burdick, uh, would you recognize this man if you ever saw him again? Well, I think I might. He was such an unusually big man, almost frightened me to death. Well, just one more question, Miss Bertie. Could you describe the car this man was driving when he approached you? His car? Mm-hmm. Why, yes. It was a gray convertible. Miss Bertie, are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure of it. A gray convertible. Thank you, Miss Bertie. That's all we wanted to know. Sometimes when you're on a case, you can chase yourself around in circles for weeks trying to fit together just two little pieces of a yard-long jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of the time, you find the answer where you least expect it. But once you get that feeling you're after the right man in the right way, there's nothing that can shake you. When Ben and I got back to headquarters, we went straight to the chief's office with the story, and we had him stake out the gray convertible. In other words, if any detective or officer spotted the car, he reported it back to us, but he stayed away from it. We figured that there probably weren't more than two of the victims who could take the witness stand and identify the man who robbed and beat them. Not with a smart defense lawyer, anyway. So there was only one way to catch this suspect. Red-handed. Here they are, Joe. Both sets of license numbers for that gray convertible. Here are the original, and here are the numbers on the stolen plate. Good. Everybody got a hot sheet? From the chief all the way down to the janitor. Fine. Now let's get together with Ed, huh? Hot shot, Joe. Grab it. I got it. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly beaten. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly... Come on, Ben, another one. But, Joe, it's broad daylight. Yeah, doesn't figure, does it? Come on. 
vacant lot over it, Joe. Two plainclothesmen and uniformed officers were keeping the crowd back. An ambulance was drawn up by the curb, but it was empty. When we got down to the rear of the lot, we found out why. They were waiting for the coroner. The woman was young, not much more than 30. Her body was half sprawled across the muddy ground, and her face was turned upward. It had been badly beaten. We figured it happened last night, Sergeant. Have the fingerprint men been notified? Yeah. How about the crime lab? Just called them. That's good. Now, let's keep everybody out of the area till they get here. All right, Sergeant. Uh, who found the body? One of the kids in the neighborhood. The woman was dead when he found her. Did she live around here? Well, about a half mile away. I hear she's got three kids. Or she had three kids. Uh-huh. You've seen enough, Ben? Yeah. Let's get on back to headquarters. All the way back to headquarters, Ben and I planned our next move. And by the time we got to Ed Backstrand's office, we knew exactly what had to be done. When we told him about the werewolf murder, he didn't say a thing for a minute. He just stared across the room at the calendar on the wall. Then he brought his hand down hard against the desk. Friday, Romero, I'm only going to say this once, so get it straight. That guy's pulled his last job in this city. He's through robbing and beating women, and he's through with murder. I've given you time to track him down, and now I want him in. No stalls and no excuses. I want him. I don't care how many men you use, and I don't care how you get him, but get him. That's all. Ben and I worked all that afternoon right through dinner, up until 8 o'clock. By that time, the overall plan was down on paper and already in action. It was one of the biggest things we'd ever tackled, and, well, we didn't know if it was going to work. We only knew it had to work. We had a squad of 65 cars to stretch out over 40 square miles of the city in one big dragnet. The blockade itself would be stationary most of the time, and working inside it would be two cars, 14 policewomen as decoys, with two plainclothesmen assigned to watch each policewoman. If and when the werewolf was sighted in the gray convertible, we'd automatically take over the police radio for the whole city, and Backstrand would direct the chase from headquarters. A little after eight, we had coffee and hamburgers, and we went to Ben's for a few hours. Ben tucked his kid in bed as usual, and then he laid down for a nap. I talked to his wife until I dozed off in the chair. At 11.30, she woke us up. I combed my hair and put on my coat. Cops' wives are like everybody else's. They worry. When we met Ed at headquarters, we did some last-minute checking on details with Backstrand for about a half an hour, and then we were all ready to go. By five minutes past two, half the dragnet crew pulled out of the police garage and scattered over the city to their places. By 2.35, the other half pulled out, and a few minutes later, Ben and I followed. At three minutes to three that morning, Backstrand took over communications and checked every car in the operation. It was a good start. Every man in his right place by the right time. The trap was set. All we needed now was to find our suspect, the werewolf, inside. Control 4 to Unit 80K. Control 4 to Unit 80K. 80K to Control 4. Go ahead. This is Backstrand standing by. 80K. Roger. Clear. KGPL. Okay, Ben. Now let's go find him. I got a hunch, Joe. Let's try the Wilshire district first. Sounds all right to me. Let's go. For the first hour and a half, we raked the Wilshire district back and forth. Not a sign. 
Then about 38 minutes past four, we headed back for the downtown area and parked in an alley where we could double-check on one of our policewomen decoys. Here comes one of the gals now, Joe. Pat Field. Bet her feet are almost as tarred as mine. Yeah. You see anything else, Ben? Nothing. Quiet as a church. No. No, no, wait a minute. Hmm? Car just turned the corner. Heading up in the same direction she is. Joe. Hmm? Joe, it's slowing down. Wait a minute. He's pulling up beside her. It's a great convertible. It's him, Joe. Come on. <laughs> ADK to control four. ADK to control four. We've spotted the suspect. He's driving a gray Ford convertible. License 61 Robert 385. Suspects headed east on Olympic from Alameda. Driving without lights. Suspect is armed. He had a fast car and he knew how to drive it. We almost lost him twice. Two minutes after we sighted him, Backstrand took over full radio control. Control four to unit ADK. ADK to Control 4. We're traveling at a high rate of speed, headed east on Olympic, crossing Soto Street. Control 4 to all units. Stand by. Units 11A, 12, and 13R close in on the intersections at Olympic and Lorena. Units 41, 42, 45, and 104K move on the next four crossings east of that. To the north and south, units 105K, 14A, 17R, 43T. Block all main arteries. Five cars in the dragnet had pulled in like a noose around a five-mile area. Ben and I hoped it was just a matter of time. Unit 80K to Control 4. Control 4 to 80K, go ahead. He's headed north on Fresno Street, crossing Whittier Boulevard. Attention all units. 80K now pursuing suspect north on Fresno from Whittier Boulevard. Units 15, 105 K, 11R, 18A, block off the intersection on Fresno and 4. Hey, Ben, up there ahead. What's he trying to do now? Look, he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming right for us. Watch it, Joe. Look out! Pretty close. 80K to control four. Control four to 80K, go ahead. Exchanging shots with suspect. Watch it, Ben. Here he comes again. Sure likes to use that gun, doesn't he? Sure does. Hey, Joe, look. Now, look, he's turning east. He's running for Hollenbeck Park. Yeah, 80K to control four. Control four, go ahead. Suspect just drove up over curb and into Hollenbeck Park. Look like a werewolf. Yeah. You got your handcuffs? Yeah. Okay. Got a cigarette? I've been out for an hour. Little place across the street. Maybe we can get somewhere. Okay. There's the crew from the 41R. Hey, fellas, take him into robbery, will you? Okay, Friday. 
think there's a vending machine in there. Uh-huh. Say, uh, you got some change for the cigarette machine, mister? I think so. Say, uh, who's that guy all them cops were after over in the park a little while ago? I picked up the werewolf. Been reading the papers? Yeah. You fellas cops? Yeah. Sure made it easy for you, didn't he? All you cops had to do was surround the little fella in the park. Nothing to it, huh? Yeah, that's right, mister. Nothing to it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Barton, known as the werewolf, was tried and convicted and is now serving a full-life sentence at the state penitentiary. This has been Dragnet, the third in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Sergeant Mario Victor Dairo of the Los Angeles Police Department, who, on the morning of January 1st, 1943, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. <laughs>